My name is Catherine Arndt and I'm the Chief of the VLGA Connect Studio. I hope you enjoy today's Connect episode brought to you by the VLGA, the national broadcaster on all things local government. Hello and welcome everyone. Uh, I'm Steve Cooper from the VLGA and this is the first interview in our 2022 election series with the, the sort of regional peaks, I suppose. Today I'm really pleased to welcome Councillor Marianne Brown, who's the Chair of Rural Councils Victoria and also happens to be a councillor at the Southern Grampians Shire. Councillor Brown, Marianne, welcome. Steve, it's great to be with you in the uh, audience today. Thank you for that welcome. Thank- Not a problem at all. We think it's really important to be talking to councils around the state, not only in the lead up to the election, but in terms of when the new government comes in about their advocacy priorities. So if we're going to be talking about rural councils, Victoria, maybe we should start um, by just the simple question of who are you? So um, we've got uh, 34 uh, rural councils that are are members of our organisation. And so in in Victorian local government, you've got the metropolitan councils, there's the peri-urban group and the regional cities, including Ballarat, Bendigo, Geelong, Warrnambool, Horsham and so forth. And we're the third um, group. So we cover um, 75% of the state's geographic area, which is significant. And we also are responsible for over 60% of the road network in the state. Um, so there's some interesting challenges around though that geographic area, uh, but, but that's who we are. So, um, and, we, and we advocate very strongly for our communities as well as our member councils. Well, I'm presuming um, you have to, there's a whole lot of pickings that or sort of rich pickings that we'll come back to, Marianne, in terms of that road network and um, presumably what happens because you need to advocate, you haven't got the kind of density of population of some of your other council colleagues. So um, presumably there's some other things going on uh, in the rural councils um, that are not just about people and houses. Correct. And, and Steve, probably to put it in context, um, we often discuss the fact that um, there's some really critical services in terms of our economy that are, that are, are generated in rural Victoria. So power's generated there, water is stored and food is produced. And in fact, Victoria is um, the largest agricultural producer in Australia. So rural communities have a very significant role to play in terms of both the state and the national economy. And for that reason, it's really important that there is investment in those communities so that they're sustainable and can support those economic activities. And that really underpins um, our advocacy to state and federal government. Yeah, so all of those places that we know and love, that's terrific, but maybe for um, the metro folk like me, we should be also looking uh, a little bit deeper at what's going on in those communities um, in terms of the range of production. And I think that's true, Steve. Tourism um, is a really critical part of our economies um, because one of the things we have seen, agriculture has become very much more efficient um, in terms of 
reducing their um, the labour input. And part of that is because farmers haven't been able to get staff. Mm. So um, that, that's occurred. But tourism and uh, hospitality uh, play a very big role in our economies, particularly as an employer, but also in, in bringing money into our communities. Um, and we saw that very strongly during the pandemic. Um, when Victorians couldn't travel interstate and when they were able to travel more freely, um, there were significant influxes of visitors to many of our communities. And again, that's another reason why it's really important to um, make sure that our communities are sustainable and, and can provide a good level of service, not only to residents, but to visitors as well. I'll move on to roads, um, Miranda, just to sort of round out that point, I presume one of the um, elements that you're talking about is if you've got these other industries, you've got a sort of critical economic mass, if you like, to ensure that, you know, or to support towns and cities in being able to continue to provide services for our farming communities. So, Steve, local government has got a, a is responsible for a very significant road network. My council, for instance, has got over three thousand kilometres of roads, and that would be similar for many of our members. Um, and the challenges for us are, but both that that road network, which then hooks into the state government net, network, is really probably the primary way that produce gets to market. But also how people might be accessing health services, other services, running their businesses, just going about their daily lives, because many of our areas are quite poorly serviced by um, public transport, be it uh, freight or uh, passenger services. So um, it's really um, important that the road network is, is good. And what we have seen prior to the, the flooding events, um, the road network was in a poor state. We, we had already made it called on the state government to increase funding both to local government and to rural roads, regional roads, Victoria. Um, and that that road network has suffered significantly as a result of the flooding and continues to do so. So there needs to be a really significant investment, both by the state government and the federal government, to, to bring that road network up to standard so it is safe. So can we be really clear on that point, Moran, that rural councils had a long-standing advocacy position prior to the recent um, flooding that road funding across the state was inadequate? Yes, we have. And we've been pressing that um, for quite a while. Um, uh, and as I said, that's one of the key asks in our uh, state election platform. So that's important, Marianne. What about um, the impact of the recent flooding, which presumably we don't know yet? Well, I, I don't think the, the dollar amount of damage is clear. Um, we've had one council that has assessed the damage at this stage at $70 million to their road network. And given that there's probably, I think, about 30 um, rural local government areas have been impacted by flooding in some way. We expect that figure to be much higher. Um, at this stage, the state government has allocated $165 million for the road network. That is not going to be anywhere near sufficient. Uh, we've seen in New South Wales, they've actually, uh, local government New South Wales has declared a uh, roads emergency and they're estimating um, the type of investment over a period of time is probably in the order of $5 billion. Um, whether we're looking at that sort of amount in Victoria, but I certainly think we would be looking at over a billion dollars for a what's start. The, what's the economic payback 
Marianne? Well, I think, Steve, as I've indicated, you know, the road network is really critical in terms of um, getting produce to market, but also uh, for communities to function effectively. Um, so I, th- I think that that that's really what underpins it. Um, and that investment in, in good, good roads pays off. And I think the other stat which is concerning is that people are more four times more likely to die on country roads than they are in the metropolitan area. So, so there's also that human cost. And, look, road conditions are not the sole cause of um, fatalities, but they are a significant contributor. Oh, absolutely. No, it is so important. We'll move on, Marianne. Um, mm. in these, with these communities in, in rural Victoria, they need somewhere to live. Um, what's the advocacy position around housing? So uh, a couple of years ago, we commissioned a report, our housing blueprint, which identified that over 15 years, uh, rural uh, Victoria needs 87,000 new houses. And one of the challenges that is facing us um, is attracting people. Generally, many of our communities have a very low level of unemployment. And if we want to attract people to fill um, those vacancies, we need to be able to offer them somewhere to live. We saw it at at one level last summer where um, particularly many of the towns that have very high tourism visitation were struggling to get staff in cafes, hotels, restaurants, Um, and some of those staff were living in really poor conditions. Um, You know, some of them were camping in tents, um, caravans, um, you know, or travelling significant distances. So that's just one of the challenges. But then it's also about attracting staff like health staff, health professionals, solicitors, accountants. So they need somewhere to live. And just about all of our communities have housing shortages. So there needs to be a significant investment both in social housing and um, also trying to attract the private sector. And that is a particular challenge in rural communities because you don't necessarily have the scale to get the large developers in. So there needs to be probably some financial incentives there or... um, One of the things we've talked about is a fund that um, councils can access if they're developing land that um, subsidises the cost of the the necessary infrastructure before land goes on the market. So those are some of the things that would certainly help to alleviate that. There's probably no real quick fixes, unfortunately, because this is a problem that has been with us for a while um, and continues to be an issue. But certainly... um... Certainly came to the fore um, in, uh, you know, sort of in that COVID, post-COVID time when, um, you know, rural communities have really, um, really struggled to find Mm. labour or somewhere for their labour force to to live. Mm, Indeed, yes. And, And yes. Now, one of the one of the drivers of that, of course, is tourism and the importance of tourism infrastructure. I understand um, RCV's got some some views on that. So we we're asking for a dedicated um, rural tourism infrastructure fund. Again, um, and Chris, I probably should have said this at the in- introduction. Rural, rural councils have a unique position in their communities. Often they're the largest employer and also because um, of market failure, our communities often look to councils to provide services. And so, for example, um, my council, we've got an aerodrome, uh, we've got an airport, we've got an art gallery, 
we provide um, a lot of the sporting facilities, uh, performing arts centre, and some of those things in larger communities would be undertaken by um, different bodies. You know, there'd be private investment. That doesn't occur often in our community. So rural councils have a really cr critical role in terms of delivering some of those services. And tourism infrastructure is often one of them. Um, and, you know, for example, my council, in conjunction with some others, has got a volcanic trails master plan, which probably would cost about $70 million to deliver. Mm. We haven't got the financial capacity to do that alone. So we would be looking to state government um, in this case to provide some financial support to get that off the road, off, off, up and running. Yeah. And other, our, our councils just don't have that financial capacity for large-scale projects. Yeah, and it's sounding as though, Marianne, there would be a huge, that's the sort of project that needs um, external government funding to provide a huge economic hit um, yes. to the area over a long time. Yes, correct. You touched before on the fact that uh, rural councils often provide um, services that don't necessarily, that, you know, might not necessarily be um, provided by councils um, in the metropolitan area, for example. Um, what might be some examples there where there are particular service provision issues for rural councils that you've got a position on? Um, prob probably one of them is in the aged care sector. So um, a number of councils uh, have been the provider of home-based care services and the funding model for that has changed. Now, that's probably particularly a federal issue, but it is an example. In some of our rural council areas, there is no other provider. So if, if um, the funding model, and in many of these areas, whether it's um, maternal and child health or school crossings or kindergartens, often councils are the ones that are picking up the funding shortfalls, but rural councils are the least able to pick up, to, to provide the funds to fill those gaps. And that, that is a trend that we're seeing, that that gap between funding that's provided from the state for some of those services um, is actually decreasing. And obviously the costs are increasing. Our communities want those services, but um, often councils have got to make some very hard decisions about how they, how they can continue to deliver those services because of the financial implications. I would presume, Marianne, that um, for many rural councils compared with, you know, sort of larger regional and metro, if you took road funding out of the revenue statement that a very high proportion of income, an extraordinary high proportion of income comes from the rate, rate base. Yeah, so, so our, the two main sources of income for our council are rates and also grants. So both financial assistance grants, which is a federal funding stream, but also um, a variety of state grants for things like libraries, for example. So if we if there's a, a reduction in that grant funding, it really, well, some of our councils are already under significant financial pressure, and that was identified a few years ago in the financial sustainability report that the state government commissioned. And it's actually deteriorated. You know, we're in an environment at the moment where rate capping is 1.75% this year and inflation is likely to hit over 7%. So you're seeing a, a, an erosion in even the, the, the purchasing power of the income that you do have because of that significant gap. And I think the other challenge about that is if you're in an area where the population is static or is having small growth, 
you you if the even if the rates go up, you're asking those people to actually pay more, and there is a significant disparity, um, which has been identified um, mm. by the state government. You know, a property in Melbourne, you know, whatever it might be, six hundred thousand, will be paying a lot lot less rates than that same property, say in Myshaw, for instance. Oh, absolutely, I mean, issue, and in terms of the ongoing um, sustainability of your member councils. Mm. Um, Mary, just to finish it off, in terms of um, looking at the value proposition, if you like, of the RCV advocacy program, why is it important? I think, Steve, there's a, a couple of things. I've touched on the economic importance of um, rural Victoria, and, and I think it's good to remind people about that. Um, but I think it's also there's an equity issue Um you know, uh, we're we're all Victorians, and I think the, there is an expectation that um, all residents have access to a, a basic level of services, whether it be good roads, health, education, just to mention a few. I think, um, and and I've also touched on the tourism um, aspect. Um, more Victorians are travelling within Victoria. Um, and, you know, there are costs associated with having visitors. It's great to have visitors. We love it. But, you know, you've got to have a good road network. Um, you need to um, be able to provide services when they come, whether it's waste services or offer good experiences, you know, walking tracks, cycling paths, all of those things. And funds are needed to provide those opportunities um, for people to have to, to experience the, the natural beauty of Victoria, which is fantastic. And so your your agricultural communities, your your, your township communities, um, they're providing that kind of, um, uh, that social ecology, if you like, right throughout the state. They are. And I think, you know, Steve, we saw during COVID how much, how beneficial it was for people to be able to be outdoors, you know, um, walking, running, cycling, whatever. And there's, the great outdoors is in rural Victoria, you know, and there's there's plenty of variety of activities, um, but, you know, you need to have communities that can support those visitors and make sure they have a, a great time as well as providing a good level of services to their residents. That's Actually, that's a great reminder to close out on, um, Marianne, because of the fact that in finding a good thing out of COVID, that the, the fact that when we got out of lockdown, Melbourne just raced out to, uh, to rural and regional Victoria is... Um, is an important thing. It is. And and I think, you know, many Victorians probably have a greater appreciation of what they have in their back in their own backyard, so to speak, because they did had limited opportunities to go elsewhere, which has been a great thing for us. So and there's a lot to offer. Well, and thanks for adding to that appreciation today. Uh, Councillor Marianne Brown of uh, Southern Grampian Shire and the Chair of Rural Councils Victoria. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Steve, it's been a great pleasure. I'm, and I'm always happy to spruik rural Victoria. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you.